Testing, testing. One, two, three. Loud and clear. Where's the intro music, Cal? It's not playing for you guys? I, I heard it on my end. Hmm, not for me. Not for me either. I was jamming out to it. I was like, you were speaking over it too. I was like, I didn't even know you could do that. What's up, guys? Nothing much. Chilling. Exciting times. Chad, how you uh, how you feeling? We finally got lending shipped. Last time we we talked here, it was uh, when we were having to delay it a couple of days. And now we're here. Lending's been live for probably like, I don't know, four four days, five days now. I think we started on uh, Sunday night or Monday. Hey, how are you feeling about the whole thing? I mean, it feels like we finally get a launch after so much time uh, on working on that particular feature. And it's, it's you know, probably the biggest feature we've launched since we launched ThorChain. So it's obviously a, a you know a significant milestone for the for the project. Yeah, I kind of see this one as like your baby. Like you know, you've been uh, so excited about this. I mean, we all have the whole community, of course. But uh, yeah, it's so cool to finally see this like wild idea that's gone through so many iterations over so much time and you know actually seeing those alerts like oh uh btc loan open it's pretty dang cool yeah for sure uh it's it's very exciting to see it it's starting it's good to see it to take off and um i'll be very interested to see what happens over the coming like few months to, to see how it performs right because as i've said many times in the past like this is this is a novel idea this is an experimental concept you know, uh, there are a lot of things that need to be proven about the idea. And so we're finally in the place where we get to kind of watch things and see if uh, if uh, elements to the design uh, make sense or they don't relative to the actual real market. So I'm really excited to see this uh, the next few months. Yeah. What do you uh, what do you think right now about expanding into other assets? Is it, is it proven out enough on Bitcoin and ETH to start expanding to other assets? Or uh, do you think we should let it bake a little bit more before... Uh, opening up to, to everything like you know Litecoin loans and Bitcoin Cash and everything else. No, I would say it needs more time than what we have so far. I, I would say that um, we at least need to wait. I would say in order to add more assets, in my opinion, if you want, if you want my two cents, I would want to see at least three months, uh, maybe even maybe three three or four months, maybe even longer, to see how the behavior works with this particular these two assets and i think that be that will like showing that behavior of how people react in certain case scenarios of the market conditions and so forth and so on of when people open or when they close and this kind of stuff will help us inform us to um whether or not a lower or a lower market cap or a more illiquid asset is um safe safer or or less safe for the protocol Right. It's we. I still want to see the behavior of these two assets for the next few months to see how that flight kind of pans out before we step you know, uh, into other assets. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I just got a uh, Simon here from from Chainflip. I know. Uh, you know, 
we're definitely close. You guys are one of the closest protocols to Thorchain. So, what's up, man? Like, thanks for thanks for coming up in these uh, these spaces. Glad to have you as part of the uh, you know the broader community. Thanks, man. Appreciate the invite. Very happy to be here. Congratulations on the launch of Lending, guys. Really cool. Thanks, man. And uh, anyone from the community can also just request and come up if you have just questions about lending or just like, you know, want to share your two cents about, you know, any any feedback that people have about um, about the launch or the future. Um, I'm pretty like one thing that I've you know been taking note of like, since it's gone live is just how orderly it's been. Um, like it, it's I, and I think it's good that it isn't just like a mad rush to like everybody, uh, you know, take out the first loans and, you know, everyone's just like fighting for um like to be to be first in i kind of like the like slow cautious thing and that's it, pretty much what we've seen with every major feature launch like savers it's just slow steady ramp up for you know x number of months and uh, uh, i don't know what your guys thoughts are but i'm assuming that we're going to see something similar for lending where it's like you know just a slow steady you know there's no real rush in the gate which i think is like really the proper way to you know, launch something that's that's like this. Not not to have everyone be like, all right, everybody is just taking out loans like right now, and then the caps are filled, and then you know everyone's sitting on their hands. So it's more of a, a slow, orderly, um, like process to get get it ramped up. Yeah, I'm actually really glad to see that that's the way it's going. I feel like it's just a lot easier to you know not get out of control and just see how everything's happening. Um, like on the Thor swap side, before the launch, the devs were like you know pulling all nighters and everything, and there was kind of this this thing in the back of everyone's mind of like, is anyone even going to get to use the UI or are bots just going to like, like eat up the entire thing on like second zero. Um, but yeah, personally, I'm kind of glad to see that it's just rolling out in like a, a more controlled way, let people get a feel for it. Um, I think people want to like, you know, see it work in all directions a bit. Like I think part of it is probably the, the 30 day, uh, minimum to pay back. I feel like that's probably what some people are waiting for just to kind of see the system work in both directions. Um, I am curious, Chad, your thoughts on that. Like, do you think the 30 days is going to stick or like, I, I mean, I love it in, in like in concept, like not letting it immediately, but I just wonder if like you think 30 days is the, the final or do you see that kind of coming down? Uh, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm open to either direction, really, uh, just depending upon how we see behavior and these kind of things. I think in part, um, the, the, the point of, of this 30 day thing is to make sure, or just to, to, to advocate for a, like a longer term loan, like that we want, we want people to utilize this loan on, on a, you know, not like on a short term degen mentality, but to have a kind of long term, uh, view. And I think that 30 day thing is just kind of helping us to kind of garner the correct kind of audience we want to see utilizing this this type of uh this type of loan so i think for 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 me like 30 days seems like a like a reasonable um first go at it and if the community feels differently you know after we've seen some like data come back and this kind of stuff i'm opening to either extending it further or contracting it depending upon you know the information we have like we always have to be we always be aware that like uh, that with new information and new, we, sh we should be to, you know, strong opinions, loosely held, right? And if we feel with new information and data about things, we should be able to to, to modify our viewpoints on, on things. What's your sense so far about how it's going? 
I think so. My general viewpoint is that thus far, it's actually been pretty clean. We've had a, a few bugs uh, initially, mo nothing like too significant, very small bugs. Uh, most of it's around like the quote endpoint, for example. But like that, you know, it's kind of expected to have a, a really large feature, and, and and obviously there's gonna be some things to iron out that you that you don't find during the testing process. So over the next like two weeks or three weeks, we're gonna be you know just bug fixing some things. UIs are also getting their their, their UIs kind of like settled and, and more you know more baked, uh, and then. The other kind of thing that we're hoping to, to, to push out relatively soon is uh, allowing stream swaps to enter and exit loans. And that's actually a little, a little bit of a complicated um, conundrum to, fix, to, to do that because uh, you don't actually, you actually want high fees in certain uh, scenarios. And when you have a highly volatile um, uh, market, you want, you want high fees. It's a way of the network protecting itself from uh, some kind of scenarios with, with lending. And so you don't always want people to pay five basis points onto their slip fees in all cases and scenarios. And so there was some math to figure out, which we did figure it out. It wasn't that actually hard than the end. I thought it was gonna be more difficult, but we, there was some math to be figured out of like, how do we scale down streaming swaps when the market's more volatile? And then there's also the complexities around like, well, we don't wanna, um, we don't wanna get situations where streaming swaps create complexities around like loans themselves because because you can have these scenarios where a streaming swap is like partially fulfilled and so if you're like you can't really partially open a loan or partially close a loan and that if you did if you did if you did a loan like that you would make the code like a lot more complex and then you would also kind of create a, an opportunity for more bugs issues maybe even exploits and so i was kind of i'm kind of hesitant around doing that and so i'll make sure that we can make some uh, some changes to streaming swaps to make sure with a very high degree of certainty that if you were to open a, a loan or close a loan that you would not get to this kind of half half open half close so there's like a bunch of problems to be solved and i think we've pretty much solved most of them if not all of them um and then that will allow people to to enter with much larger um size than what we've seen thus far i think in general i think the biggest loan we've seen thus, thus far maybe cow or or Chad Throat uh, can correct me, but it's probably around like what twenty five or thirty k. You know, it's probably the biggest loan. And I think we've heard from multiple people in the in the community saying that they know somebody or they are somebody who wants to take a much larger loan, but they're waiting for uh, that the slippage was just too much. You know, to to kind of support them, which makes complete sense to be to be objective. So I think once we get the streaming swaps working on lending. Uh, we might see an uptick in terms of like larger sale, size uh, size trades. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. That that was the largest I saw too. I think two BTC collateral and approximately one BTC as as the loan amount. Um, yeah, so I think streaming swaps will definitely open that up to to larger loans potentially. And same thing for savers. Like, do you? So is it equally? Is it? I would actually guess it's simpler to do for savers than for lending. Is that true? Like, is that, cause that's going to be, I mean, I'm really excited for that. Like, because especially with just how the network has been recently, like suddenly there's all this extra cap space and we've got stable savers. I'm sure we'll get into like rolling out and like, so savers is looking pretty, pretty sweet again. And then you, you put streaming savers on top of that. And like, that's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. So, Streaming for savers is a little bit simpler because in a uh, in a loan, there's actually four trades happening, right? 
two swaps on the collateral coming inbound and then two swaps on the debt going outbound. And you want to make sure you do all that in a tonic fashion, right? Or, or in a way that, that you're not going to fail the transaction on the way out on the, of the, the debt, for example. And that's the one of the, the, the challenges of stream swaps is because it's up to cross multiple blocks, you really can't do an atomic streaming swap. Doesn't make any sense. So that that's a lot more complex and difficult than streaming than savers. But the problem with savers, the challenge with savers, is that you are streaming into a synthetic position, and um, there are synth caps and there are TVL caps, right? And so what happens when you start the streaming process to become a saver, and then halfway through that process? we hit the synth cap or we hit the TVL cap and we, we have to like, you know, reject your thing or whatever. And that's a discussion that myself and Air Dennis are having about what's the best way to handle that. My initial feeling is that like, as long as the, we have enough space at the beginning of the streaming swap, it probably doesn't actually matter. Like th these caps are not like hard caps. Like you can't go over it by a dollar or else the whole thing will crash. Like they're, they're quite soft in their, in their nature. So it's and these streaming swaps happen probably at every block over you know several thousands of dollars and so like you can probably get most streaming swaps will, ha will happen within a minute right uh, uh for entering or exiting uh, a, a saver's position so it's like very small like period of time so it's probably not that not that not that big of a deal but i'm still having conversations and debates with with their dance about this topic but yes savers is is a simpler thing to score than loans but they still have their they're kind of rough edges, sharp edges. Hello? Chris? Hey. Chris. Go ahead. I've got uh, I've got some lending stats here. So talk about the biggest loan, uh, 2.6 BDC collateral for getting out about 1.19. So that was the biggest, about 30,000. Just looking at a flip side dashboard there as well. Uh, I know that there's about a, a million dollars worth of collateral and about uh, $478,000 has been borrowed. Uh, 204 loans opened with 135 distinct borrowers over four days. So it's not, it's not, it's like what you said, it's slowly, slowly getting there, which is pretty good. Um, has been a huge uptake that I think that's good as well. Um, and you can just see that slowly building on time. And about three hundred and forty-eight thousand runes being burnt. Uh, talking about the BDC and uh, Ethereum assets and enabling the other ones, I think it's also worth noting that the both the BDC and Ethereum dom like dominance is sixty-seven percent of the entire crypto market cap. So every other asset, even the old ones we have on on blockchain, would be relatively small. So I think it's it's good to have those assets to see what um, what the market does with Bitcoin and Ethereum because they're the two biggest assets in crypto by far. So I think that's that's really good. And that 67% just kind of shows you how big that just those two assets are alive. I did have a question, uh, Chad. So I know that lending's been tweaked, particularly around the, the vpool debts, the, um, the, the anchor blocks. So how many blocks back you're looking to tweak the, the vpool debts and the sensitivity? So we're targeting, so it's like 95%. Did you just want to talk through that, some of the tweaking and the, because of the effect streaming swaps had on the vpools? Yeah, so um, 
how do we put this? Um, so the depth of virtual pools of the derived assets is as dynamic, right? It's calculated based upon the trade volume through the layer one counterpart of that derived asset. And that's there primarily for two reasons. One is to make sure that nobody can price manipulate the network and, and you know, fuck over the, the lending system, similar to what we saw with, with Ningo markets. And the second thing is, is it creates uh, friction when, when there's a, a flash of a capital uh, passing through the network, like going from lending to exiting lending positions. And it, it's kind of similar to what you might see in like, you know, Bitcoin's case of like, when you want to, when a lot of people want to make Bitcoin transactions all more or less the same time, the network solves this problem by just increasing fees and, and that just basically, you know, figures out who's going to exit and, and that, that kind of stuff. Every, anybody can exit any time. It's just a question of whether or not you want to, to pay the, the fees at the time. And so because there's always trade volume through the layer one pool, more or less, uh, there's, there's never going to be 100%. The virtual pool is never going to be 100% the size of the layer one. It's just never going to be because there's always some amount of trade volume. And the question is, like, what do we want, like, the resting point to be, so to speak? Like, when when everything's just kind of normal, there's something crazy happening, you know, Bitcoin's not mooning that's causing a lot of volatility or a huge amount of trade volumes happening because of some launch of a new, fe new feature or, or something of this nature. Like, what do we want the resting point to be? And I think, like, I think the agreement that I, that I have with some of the devs here is that, like, 95% is probably, like, a good, you know, uh, a good um, target to, to have, especially when it comes to, um, um, virtual uh, streaming, which I'll get back to that a little bit later on. But so ninety-five percent is kind of like a good like target to do so. What that means is we have to make sure that the that the uh, virtual pool is backing relative to the trade volume and pool depth of like how close it is to, uh, tracking towards that ninety-five percent. And the problem is that that we're having, and we kind of knew this before, but we felt this was probably like a, a good kind of v1 step of handling it but like was that like we set a, a hard static number which currently is set at like 60 percent and that number is is a static number and it's applied to all pools but not all pools are the same in terms of like trade in terms of their capital efficiency the number the amount of volume passing through it versus the depth of that pool right and things change my markets change themselves like maybe there's less trading now because it's fair market and then there's more trading later because it's bull market and maybe we just launched a new feature called streaming swaps which you know increased the trade volume by you know five or ten x or whatever the number was and that changes the capital efficiency of these pools which causes these pools become more shallow the, der the derived pools become more shallow it's so like that's that's all well and good and everything but we, what we need is a more dynamic way Right of managing these the, the virtual pools, and we want we want to do it in a way that like it doesn't require you know constant governance to like tweak and up and tweak down and based upon conditions and that kind of thing. That's just it's just too much of a pain in the ass. And so we proposed uh, a design change to how that pool is calculated to be a mathematical computation rather than just like a set static number of sixty percent or seventy percent. So the first thing I do just to kind of improve the situation it's just we're going to increase that number from 60 percent probably to 70 percent maybe we can go higher depending upon uh how that uh, how the network reacts to that 70 percent number just back up towards 90 percent so that we pay less fees and resting point for opening and closing uh loans uh and then after that there's this proposal to make a change that the network will uh, will compute 
how much sensitivity an individual pool needs based upon the last two weeks of volatility and trade volume and all these things. And it's, you can kind of think of it similar to Bitcoin and the way that it does. It's like uh, mining difficulty and that every two weeks, the Bitcoin blockchain analyzes how much you know hash rate it has, hash, hash power it has to, to compute its blocks. And it adjusts the difficulty of mining based upon that information. It's conceptually a little bit similar to that. And that look at the last two weeks and adjusting every two weeks so that if there was some sort of crazy event that happened today, it wouldn't actually change the sensitivity of the, of the pools at all. It would take a sustained amount of time, like a week plus of, of unusual trade volume or a change in trade volume versus the, uh, depth, the, the depth of the pool to be either increased or decreased in another direction. And the network would just naturally adjust itself as it needs to, you know, week to week in a matter of speaking. So I think that's the long-term kind of fix to this particular thing. And that's something I'm looking to get done, you know, in the next couple of releases. No, no like rush on this. It's not like a big of a deal, but it is a way to get the network to be uh, kind of self-maintaining over the long-term. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So they, that means that lenders will, will essentially be getting a better deal because the vpool which was one of the, one of the swaps will go through, will be more matched to the actual L1 pool, such as the Bitcoin pool. You go through the, the drive asset Bitcoin pool. They'll, be, they'll get a better deal because it's more in line under normal conditions, essentially. And, and then the network's going right. to dynamically adjust yeah. depending on, you could say, market situations. Yeah, absolutely. It, it'll definitely give traders a better deal, especially specifically dur during... Uh, you know, normal conditions, like normal like market conditions. And I think what's, what's kind of funny is that the that 60% number we're using now was calculated before streaming swaps had mm. been launched. And so it was the correct number for months. And we actually tried this specific number 60%, like I think it was like seven months ago. We initially tried it on mainnet just to see if that, if that was the correct number to use. And it was, it was actually around like, 90, 90, 95% for like a long period of time. But then we, you know, added uh, streaming swaps, which changed the amount of trade volume through pools, obviously. And that all of a sudden the Bitcoin pool and, and the ETH uh, derived assets pool became like, instead of being 90, 95%, it was sitting at like 75%, right? Which is like obviously a significant, you know, pull down. Um, yeah. So once we increase this number from 50% to 70%, maybe even 80 uh, I think we'll be in a better condition immediately. And then what we'll probably then do is make that kind of dynamic change, which in the next few weeks, and that will just be the kind of way to solve the problem in a more per permanent perspective. So the, the V pools, um, one of the benefits, at least before streaming swaps, was to detect pool manipulation. And then um, yep. you could say incentivize an orderly withdrawal. So if there's huge amounts of um, trading, if there's a big spike of, of trades in the L1, it would reduce the pool, the, the V pool depth. So then it wouldn't be yeah. an optimal time to get out. And obviously, streaming swaps does that smoothing effect. So you could stream out, everybody could potentially stream out, and you wouldn't have this massive spike because people aren't necessarily doing instant instant swaps to exit. So how does it still uh, provide that pool manipulation and incentivize an orderly? Um, exit in those very high volatility times that are outside of normal trading. Yeah. So um, 
there's there's two components to this. So there was some some kind of interesting math that, that took us a while to figure it out. But um, when you're swapping between two pools of different depths to them, right, which means you're going to pay a different fee in pool A versus versus pool B. And if you specifically want to get five basis points in, in, the, in the swap fees total between those two pools, calculating the exact swap size you need between these two different pools of different sizes was a little bit uh, of a tricky problem to solve. And thankfully, we actually found the math to do so. And so uh, as the, the layer one pool will, will stay more or less constant, right? And the virtual pool become more and more shallow, the more, you know, exodus there is or the more volume pass, passing through the, the volume one, the layer one pool. So mm-hmm. as that number comes down, the virtual becomes more shallow. Well, the, the, the size of each individual subswap gets smaller in size to maintain that 5% basis points. Right? Yes. So yes. all of a sudden, it's, in a normal scenario, let's just imagine the case that like, in a normal case, uh, you needed 10 trades, 10 subswaps to get that year five basis points, right? In a normal case mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. But then imagine if the virtual pool is now halved or, 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 or even 90% lower, you know, in depth. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, instead of 10 trades, you actually need, uh, I'm, I'm making up numbers, so don't, so don't quote me here, but like yep. a, 100 trades, right? So you've, mm-hmm. it actually dynamically means that you need a lot more trades to maintain that five basis points. That's the first component. So you need a lot more trades to, to maintain that low five basis points you know, fee that you would be paying. And the second component is that lending itself will put a cap on the streaming swap uh, quantity based upon how much the virtual pool has reduced in size, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it, and it follows the same exponential, uh, um, the same exponential uh, curvature, if you want to call it that, that that streaming swap saves on on transactions. So when you do a trade on ThorChain with when you break your trade into two different swaps, you basically are, are um, getting about 50% uh, reduction in swap fees. If you do three swaps, you're now getting approximately about like 75%. So you, so mm-hmm. adding another trade is, is decreasing by 25% instead of 55, 50%. And another trade of that is like 12 and a half and it basically goes down, 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 down. So it's exponentially decreasing the no- as you increase the number of swaps. And so we're following that same curvature but just going in the reverse direction, right? So if you were, if the pool was hypothetically uh, 100%, the virtual pool is 100%, then you basically, there's no cap to streaming to the streaming swap, so it could be the higher numbers you want, basically infinity, right? Whatever the hell the number is, right? Uh, if you go to like, it's 99.99% the size, well, now you move from infinity to about 10,000 swaps, right? And if you go to 99.9%, it's now a hundred swaps and if you're 99% it's now, uh, I think, uh, uh, 10 swaps, something like this, or I can't remember the exact number at the top of the head, but like it decreases very fast. Right. And to the point where you, when you get to 95%, which is like kind of the resting point, the maximum, um, uh, number of swaps allowed would be about 20. Right. And so you have the, the, the maximum swaps allowed is decreasing. And then also the number yep. of swaps needed to get five basis point is increasing. And these two things are basically like sandwiching, Right, and, and they're both increasing the fees in their own right, in a matter of speaking, if that makes sense to you. So eventually you get to the point where if you get to the pool becomes you know, 49.999% uh, 
the depth of the layer one pool. Now this, the streaming swap is reduced to 1%, to, sorry, one, one, one swap, which effectively is no streaming swaps whatsoever. And so streaming swaps effectively disables or starts to tune itself down as more volatility exists in the layer one pool. And that increases fees uh, in, in line with the, the reduction of the pool size, if that makes sense. This is all quite complicated. I'm hoping I'm explaining it in a way that's not too boring or, or convoluted. No, I, I get it. So essentially the more L1 trading, the more, more CFC Bitcoin pool, the more trading that happens there, the more the, the V pool reduces, which means that the less benefit you can get from streaming swaps. So there's like a relationship between the trading and the streaming swap benefit, essentially. Um, and the higher the trade volume is on the pool, the less you can use streaming swaps because of the vehicle depth difference. Right, right. Even yeah. even at twenty, even at even at ninety five percent, the depth you're only ever going to get twenty swaps possible. So if you're like a big giant whale, that's probably not going to be. It may not be enough for you, or whatever. But then also at the same time, the 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 um, each individual sub swap is going to be uh, even more larger relative to what five-base ones would give you. Yeah, it's just reducing the max streaming stock quantity. And like for 20, that's still 95%, but maybe you're not getting 99%. So I'm pretty aware when it starts to go under 10 swaps, that's when it's going to really start affecting that efficiency. Yeah, I think 10 being 90%. Right, I think think 10 is 90% or something like this. And so once you get below 90%, now you're at like nine, nine swaps or eight swaps, and it just quickly goes down from there. That makes sense. So essentially, yeah. you allow streaming swaps at uh, when there's low volatility, and when there's high volatility, it just quickly um, goes down in the number of streaming swaps you can do. So you, when it's when there's low volatility, you can make really you can take out really big loans or repay really big loans. But when there is volatility, then you should probably wait to do that until the in, until there's low volatility again at some point in the future. Right. Yeah. It, it, at that point, it's up to the individual to say like do I want to pay the additional fees now and close my loan now? Or do I want, want to wait until tomorrow and pay less in fees and, get, and keep, keep more of my money, right? And that's just a judgment call that everybody's going to make independently of themselves of you know, what they want to do. And the, the quote endpoint or interfaces will tell you, right? That's a part of what gets return when you, when you ask it to say, well, you know, if I put a loan in, this is how much I'm going to get out of debt. Um, so you, you'll understand whether that's still favorable for you or not from an end user point of view. Exactly. It, it, the UI should, should inform users of, you know, what is the expected, you know, payment for this. And by the way, I, I, and I left this out and I should have said this earlier, but I left this out by accident, is that um, when you open or close a loan right now, you can state what you want your minimum out to get. So if I'm putting in yeah. one Bitcoin, I can state like, you know what, I don't want to get anything less than, you know, uh, uh, 12,000 USDC. I don't know. Just, I'm making it for random numbers right now, right? And so the, the network will, will, will abide by that. So if the CR changes quickly underneath your feet in a matter of speaking, or the virtual pool becomes a lot more shallow because of some event that just happened like during your process, it will, uh, that, that loan is not open under those conditions that you set. But because streaming swaps are different and streaming swaps are not atomic and they happen across several blocks, we can't just like, 
partially open alone or partially close it, at least not without introducing significant complexity and, and confusion, both for the user and for the protocol itself. And so if you're going to use streaming swaps on lending, you have to opt out of the minimum out concept. And so you're gonna say like, just give me what you can give me, right? In order to make sure that the streaming swap is successful and it doesn't get into this partial fulfillment, partial not, whatever it is, uh, you have to opt out of having this min out idea. Now, if you, if you want the min out, then you have to pay the higher fee. I think that's just gonna be the, the trade-off that you're gonna have to make. Interesting. So streaming swaps more like DCA. So seeing that, like a I mean, dollar cost a, average. It, it, you can look at them that way. I wouldn't just because the time frame of when this is happening is, you know, probably very short. You know what I mean? Within for like at least for ninety nine percent of people, it would be with within you know a few minutes, right? So it's, I wouldn't apply the idea of DCA of like I'm going to DCA over the next DCA over the next five minutes. Although technically, <laughs> I suppose that's I suppose that's technically true. Like you know. But like nobody thinks about DCAing over a five minute time period. That's just a little bit of a silly, silly notion. But um, so if you just you're so you're going to say like I'm going to follow the market for the next few minutes, right? Depending upon the, the size of your of your position. Cool. I think the opposite's the same as well. Like that'll be the same for when you repay your loan in the repayment. You can have a look at what collateral you're going to get back if you're to fully fully repay the line, is that right? Yeah, it's the same on the outbound or, or closing as well. Yeah, yeah one thing uh, you mentioned earlier, Chad, is interfaces. And uh, so like right now, it's just ThorSwap and uh, Lens doing front end for lending. But, um, you know, we just met today with the with the Shapeshift team who's working on, on lending. I'm sure Thor Wallet's also working on it. I'm sure other interfaces as well are working on different lending and interfaces. Um, and, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, just tweeted out earlier that Pulsar is doing lending dashboards. And uh, yeah, so like we're, we're seeing a lot of like new front ends, like, you know, kind of crop up out of, out of nowhere. Um, just like that, just kind of the immediate ecosystem right now. And like people who are already, um, doing things with like swaps and savers and now they're offering loans. Uh, but you know, it, no, nothing yet outside of the immediate space, but, uh, I guess that's, that's really not to be expected until it's, uh, uh, like a lot more battle tested and, you know, we really have everything nailed down on the, on the UX end. But, uh, yeah, I think we'll see some, some more interfaces, uh, cropping up soon over the next uh, couple of weeks and, and months for sure. Yeah, excited to see more UIs get, get involved in the game here. Uh, I'm sure Shapeshift will probably uh, add lending at some point too. Uh, they're probably going to be doing that at some point, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, we did, We literally just met with them today, just like giving them feedback on their like, design for the open and closing and, and stuff like that. So they're, they're well on the path of uh, getting this shipped out. And they, so they also just put in streaming swaps the other day. And uh, I think we saw our first big streaming swap come through Shapeshift today is like a 77 ether to bitcoin swap coming through the shapeshift front end uh, i saw so i think that was the first big uh swap to come through shapeshift so huge shout outs to, to those guys getting their first i really 
I really feel like the industry has not figured out how how huge streaming service is, like how much it changes things. It, it, it like it's so funny because the change itself wasn't that huge of a change in terms of like the code base. Like it, it was a, had some size to it, but not not really not that relative to other things. It's really not that huge of a of a change to the code base. And but yet it has a very significant effect on the value proposition or the usability of this particular network. And we, and it's shown, you know, obviously it's blatantly obvious that, that it's been a highly successful feature thus far, thus far for, for, the, for the protocol. And it's going to, I think going to usher in uh, a greater shift away from, from sexes uh, towards sexes. And actually, cause like, there's no reason why we can't outperform sexes and pretty much, Almost every app, like every every attribute, with the exception of a handful of things like fiat and you know maybe cross chain asset management is, is a difficult problem to solve in a decentralized way. But like things like spot trading, perpetuals, you know, like lending, you know, uh, interest accounts, like these kind of things. Like there's no reason why we can't do this far better and far cheaper and far more efficiently and far more open and transparent than what is reasonable or possible that for any sex to actually accomplish. So like anybody who's looking at this stuff objectively and who has, you know, uh, a good mind behind them can look at the situation and say like this industry, like, um, and I'll include uh, uh, flip in, in this in this context of like anything that we are doing as, as a community, whether it be ThorChain or Chainflip or, or other people in the industry, like we all collectively can, can effectively sex in so many ways. Yeah, I want to echo that sentiment as well. I mean, literally on the vision page on our website, our mission is to displace the centralized exchange. And I think Uniswap proved beyond a reasonable doubt what's possible, right? If you can, if you can offer a product which actually offers a comparable swapping experience in terms of you know, pricing and expectations and so forth, people come. And that, that happened in 2020 in a big, big way. So you know, most people probably don't bother to log in to Binance or whatever to swap USDC to ETH, for example, anymore. And I think, you know, the more we can do to, you know, optimize the experience for Web3 users in general on with on-chain trading, particularly in the spot market. But as you say, there's plenty of other opportunities as well. I think that's going to be, yeah, I don't, I don't think people have quite clocked on to how massive that could really be in terms of volume, like Bitcoin being... 48% of this entire market is just a huge under-serviced opportunity, I would say, for, for the industry. And it's something that's been sitting in our backyard now for a decade. And we still, still like the, the general user base, hasn't clocked on to the idea that this is now possible and, and efficient and good. So, yeah, really excited to be on the same mission as well. And I hope we can make a dent too, because I think, yeah, FTX, especially last year was a big wake up call for a lot of people that just thought, yeah, this is fine. The, the, the status quo is fine, but it's really, it's really not. And, um, you know, I think we're all taking the right steps to, to, to make that change. I just wonder, you know, how long is it going to take for people to clock onto that idea? And I think the answer is going to be, you know, more integrations, um, have it be more accessible, have it be there in the background, have it be there as an option. And then gradually over time, in the same way that Uniswap was there for a long time before we saw anything like what 2020 became, you know, that I think that's the same sort of trajectory that we're, we're going to face here in the cross-chain space. And 
that excites me and I'm assuming it excites you guys too. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, to, to add on what you just said, like people are waking up because of FTX, right? Uh, which is obvious and clear. And then you also have like, you know, Quadriga and Mount Cox and like, okay, there's a whole slew of like, um, and what's funny is that, that they, they all basically have died and, and, and for a lot of like the same reason, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the same mistake almost. Well, the money wasn't, for whatever reason, the money wasn't there. That's it. Simple as that. Yeah. For, for one reason or another, money wasn't there. And, and what's great about this DeFi space, like even if Thorchain were to, to collapse tomorrow, right or some whatever right hypothetically speaking like we would learn from it like first of all everybody who was participating in it had clear knowledge of everything that was ha that was happening right like in, in, in quadriga and fdx and stuff like this like nobody knew what the fuck was happening and if you did know you'd probably run the fuck away right but in something like a, a chain flip or a thor chain you know if things don't go right you at least knew everything that was happening. And, 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 and in the end, you made the choice to put your money in, in chain flip or in Thor chain or whatever it might be. And whatever happens, the community learns from it. And, and maybe we make a mistake that chain, chain flip learns from, and, and you could change how your thing is like, or maybe we made, we made a mistake, like for actually a perfect example, we made a mistake with, with security in the earliest days of our beta, right? And we got exploited once a couple of times and we learned from that mistake. And it would be great if somebody like a chain flip, for example, observes the mistake that we had made and say, you know what, they made the mistake. Here's the solution they came up with. We like that solution, or maybe we don't like that solution. Doesn't really matter. And you just adjust yourselves to make it to like correcting yourselves from the things that mistake we made, right? And so forth and so forth. You might make, you guys might make a mistake on chain flip, and we're like, oh, that's a really interesting mistake that chain flip made. We should probably make a change ourselves to address that particular issue, whatever, whatever it is. Not that I'm trying to flood chain flip or anything like this. But yeah, no, no, no. You're exactly right. I mean, when when the when the door chain hacks happened back in the chaos net days, like we looked pretty closely like the types of exploits that actually happened there, and that was really helpful for us actually to sort of go, okay, well, what is the actual like potential surface area for an attack? Like, what should we focus on in our audits? What should we focus on in our internal reviews and, and so on? So, that, yeah, that you're absolutely right. It's been very informative to, to work it out. And I think also, like, with these DeFi products, it's not like with FTX where you just have your money sitting there all the time, right? This is, like, you're only exposed to it most users. If you're not LPing or whatever, you, you do a swap and that's it exposure over it doesn't matter what happens then you know it's in your wallet it's right. the underlying assets are there right so i think even even just that even even if potentially these products are more complex and potentially vulnerable in different ways um you know if the tail risk is managed or eliminated entirely then it's still a superior product and it's still superior to what the centralized exchanges can offer in terms of security because you're just not exposed to it when you're not using it which is not right. true ninety percent of the time. The way that people mainly use exchanges. So, yeah, self custody. Right. Not your keys, not yeah, your coins. We said that over the decade. The exchanges are designed for you to de to deposit your money and leave it there. That they want you. That they specifically. They don't make it easy for you to just to de deposit and swap and exit like like you do on Fortune or Chainflip because they don't want you to do. It. They want you to hold their capital so they can play with it and do things with the, that, that they want to, you know, uh, either for shorts or, you know, options or whatever the fuck they want to do with or just resell it for other purposes. Like who knows the fuck they're doing behind the scenes. We don't, we don't have any clarity. Another great thing that, that every time I've roll lately, I have been re KYC'd. 
like three times in a row. (laughs) One thing that I hope that we can do, and and this is something that that Lena and I were just talking about today, and we were talking about you guys over at Chain Club, is that like, there's a crazy interesting ideal that we can achieve as an industry, uh, me uh, me as a Thor Chain community, and you as a uh, Chain Flip and so forth. It's that like we can connect to each other and utilize each other. Aggregation. Aggregation yeah, yeah. The fuck out of this thing. Like I'm totally down to doing a, a deck aggregation with Chainflip and Chainflip with us, and then we can pull on your liquidity and use your assets that you connect with, and you guys can do the same thing on our side. And then in the end, what you're left with is that users will just use whatever is the most efficient, you know, pathway to give them good price execution or whatever the hell the thing might be. And whereas in the centralized exchange world, like everybody wants to be themselves and like the capitalistic mentality of everybody trying to beat everybody else just creates, you know, like a, a competitive market, which in itself is a good thing in a, at a high level. But what would, wouldn't it be amazing if we just had a series of public good networks, whether it be Chainflip and ThorChain and Uniswap and, you know, and Trader Joe and fucking everything else in the industry we all just fucking talk to each other. We just swap amongst each other and make it super clean and super easy for the user to acquire any fucking asset whenever the goddamn they please without signing up and all this bullshit and, and, and deploying assets and, and getting like, fucking all this shit. Like how amazing would that be if we just like work together as an industry and we could totally fucking do it and it would be fucking awesome. It's relatively straightforward as well. I mean, you know, like, for example, we're not, we're not going to be listing Litecoin anytime soon as, as one example, right? So there's, like, plenty of overlap that where it makes complete sense, even, even if you're not aggregating across any given pair. So, yeah, totally, absolutely. And, like, that's, that's why we put so much work in the chain for the SDK, right? This is the whole thing. Cross-chain messaging as well, composability, that's, like, one of the key ideas of DeFi that made it interesting in the first place. And so, yeah, like absolutely aggregation is 100% uh, a huge part of our strategy. And I think a key component in actually taking on Binance or, or whoever, right? Because, you know, as a user, it's nice to be able FTX or whatever and be able to swap to pretty much anything I can think of that might be relevant to me. Um, you know, it, rather than just hopping around all these random bridges and random dexes on random chains to get to where I want to go, like, and having to do multiple transfers and all this weird stuff that shouldn't be there and doesn't have to be there. So, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're 100% on board with that. That would be sick. That'd be so awesome. The, the industry would win in that scenario. You know, us working together, it's a win for everybody. I mean, yeah, it's the, the cross-chain space as a whole. Like, even even like the cross-chain messaging protocols, right? Like, we're not, we're not bridging USD. We don't have to, though, because Axel has already done it, right? So if that's what you want to do, you should be able to do it. And there's no reason not to. There really isn't. I've been thinking more about decentralized exchanges and where they're going in the future, especially with some of this news that's come out recently about uh, like Coinbase acquiring some, you know, like a, a larger stake in, in USDC. And obviously they've been involved with Circle in the past. And, um, you know, like it's, it's similar like echoes of, of Binance doing doing similar things with, uh, you know, Paxos and BUSD and uh, like all, all these major exchanges. And I've just been thinking about how centralized exchanges will probably become more of a stable coin issuer 
and obviously like working in in that like bridge between like the, the TradFi world and then like bringing like real assets onto chain tokenizing things and being that that bridge from kind of the uh the, the real world to to on chain and then a lot of major exchange just happening on on dexes like to me that really seems to be the way that it's going uh just because like obviously you need some kind of regulated like you you need these regulated entities to actually like I- issue these these stable coins that, that are going to scale up to to billions and billions of dollars uh like uh and you're going to need a, a bunch of them too not not just you know circle or, or tether or whatever so um yeah i'm like that's just one of those things that I've just been kind of chewing on recently, uh, just like where where those sexes are going. And I, I think it's just going to be more stable coin issuance and then more and more trading is just going to end up happening on chain on, on all the dexes that we're um, building here. I mean, anecdotally, that's what I already do, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of people in that same boat where, you know, you're using the exchange pretty much as a method to get in and out of stables. And then from there, you're just on chain the whole time. Um, the, the industry's got to that point where that's largely possible now. And there's more to go, but it's exciting, definitely. Hey, speaking of stables, um, there's a, uh, one one thing that's just come out this, this week, which is probably not widely known yet because there's really not uh, been a lot of effort put into like getting getting the word out there yet. But uh, stable savers are live on Thorchain, so you can uh, so all of the, the 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 Tor anchor assets. So all of the stable coins which are used to uh, get find the Tor price, which I believe right now is just uh, Ethereum USDC, AVAX USDC, uh, Ethereum Tether, and maybe like maybe BUSD on Binance Chain. Uh, I'm not sure if there's more than that. Although um, so. All of those assets can be added to savers now, so you can actually uh, deposit, you know, single-sided, just, um, you know, any of those uh, stablecoin assets, and then have a savers position in Thorchain. So that's like brand new to the protocol uh, this week, and there has, no, no one's really made any noise about this yet. And like, uh, I, we definitely need to ramp it up a bit and add support for all of the other. Uh, stablecoin pools that we have, like especially the new ones, like LUSD and uh, GUSD and USDP, and uh, yeah, there, there's a good number of them that, um, that that exist that we need to add support for. But um, that's a brand new thing to look forward to on on Thorchain. Yeah, those are huge, and it plays in really well with streaming swaps too, because all the stablecoin swaps have shifted back to the Thorchain pools a lot versus like dex aggregation with with streaming swaps so now suddenly there's all these fees going to the stable coin pools so it's really like i, I mean i'm sure that was not a mis- not not an accident <laughs> that those kind of happened at, at around the same time but um yeah so that's a really uh sweet product that's out there and um i know on like the thor swap side like just kind of waiting for like the aprs to display and stuff like that but there will be kind of like a more of a actual launch launch but it is live okay so let, let me splash a little bit of cold water on this right so i want to make sure we 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 keep it real in a matter of speaking um so synthetics in general is is uh you know it's enabled the network to do a couple of things like uh fast arms and and savers and this kind of stuff but they also pose 
uh, a liability in the protocol, right? Because we use a, a POL to kind of balance the sentence and all this kind of stuff. And so um, that liability is relational. At least this is how I look at it, right? And I'm happy to be uh, proven wrong or, or, or whatever. Is that the, that liability has a relationship to uh, the volatility of the asset, right? In this case, stables. The more, the less volatile something is, the more that increases the liability. The number of those assets in the network and the the depth of the pool, right? And since utilization, effectively. And so, because in a when we move from a bull market to a bear market, right? And the room price goes down, and the other asset, in this case, we're talking about stables, is basically stationary. That means that the POL needs to, to, to you know, deploy more rune into that pool to support the LPs of that pool, so forth and so on, right? And so, like, if you go hog wild on this stuff, right, you can, you can put the network into a dangerous scenario. Now, in this particular case, the, the stable pool, stable cone pools are, are quite shallow, right? Uh, and so there's not, like, a huge mine liability there. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I want the community to be aware of and, and to be – completely clear and upfront from the from the get-go of the community to be aware of that we don't want these pools to become like massive in size like you know something size of a bitcoin pool or, or, or greater and we probably don't want to see you know a 50 percent sense utilization on these tables because they pose a greater liability to the protocol do you see what i'm saying so i think so we should be aware of this when we're entering it and be and kind of keep a watchful eye of it over the next, you know, a few months or a couple of years or whatever, and just kind of uh, t uh, tamper things when it makes sense to do so. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, thanks for adding that. Um, are the caps, can the synth caps be set specifically for the stable pools? Is that, or is it currently just like across the board? It's currently across the board. There's no specific, like, specific synth cap for particular stables. I'm open. I'm open to the idea of of adding that, and maybe that's the right. Maybe that's the right thing to do. Maybe we maybe we say that for the stable coins, we don't want to do uh, a sixty percent utilization. Like we have other assets. Maybe for those, we want to do something smaller, right? Maybe a thirty percent. I don't know what the number is off the top of my head, but just that might be a way of going at it. But in general, I want to make sure that 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 we are aware as a community and we keep a watchful eye on. All of these features we're adding, whether it be savers, uh, lending, you know, all these things we're talking about, that we understand where the, the sharp edges are and where and we and we know how to handle it when we get closer to those things. In general, most of these problems that we're talking about in the in the in the in the protocol, we can see them coming, you know, a mile away, right? Which is why I'm talking about a theoretical issue that we could have at the next bear market, which is what like four years away. You know what I mean? So it's like we have plenty of time to adjust and, and correct it and, and write the ship as we see as we see need need to. But I just wanted to voice that that mentality just so that the community as a whole is aware of that and keeps a watchful eye over the coming coming years. Yep. Uh, I, I thought there was a maximum depth uh, that was available and it, it's quite a bit lower for the, the savers um, pools. Uh, for for stable coins than it is for the, just the regular assets. I, I believe it was like thirty three percent rather than fifty percent, which isn't. I mean, uh, I'm sure we can adjust that as as it goes on. But um, like, yeah, yeah, obviously we don't want yeah. we don't want them to be like giant stable coin savers pools, but we do want some kind of depth in the stable savers pools. 
Yo, Logan. And also, uh, Gethro, sorry, I brought you up here way before, but yeah, I'm really giving you guys a chance to speak. Sorry, I, th- I think I think Simon had something to, to respond on that, that previous topic before. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have something to respond, just a question that, uh, that that crossed my mind while we were talking about that. Like, um, you know, talking about caps and, and having like these assets and wanting to restrict the pools and stuff. One of the things that I've been thinking about recently with Chainflip is like, what happens when, and you guys have probably done this before, I don't actually know, but, you know, what happens when you, you make the decision that for the benefit of the protocol, because of the economic security limitations and so forth, what happens when you decide that you need to delist an asset. You need to delete a pool or something. Like, how do you guys actually think about that? Have you guys done that before? Yes, we did do it once. We have done that before. We did, we done it once before. It was a, of an asset called Terra. I don't know if you ever heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that checks uh, out. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's it's complicated. So uh, with synthetics and with lending, it makes it even more complicated, right? And so I think what would need to happen, and, and to be honest, it's hard to plan for this because the, the, the scenario and the situation that we're in that is causing us to delist a particular asset could be a huge wide varying of reasons. Maybe the asset just went to zero like, US, uh, like, like uh, Luna did, UST did. Maybe, um, you know, it's the beacon chain for BNB and they're just, they're, they're just getting rid of it, you know, or, or whatever. I don't know. Not that they're getting rid of the BNB, I don't want to spread that kind of thing. But I'm saying, like, you, you never know the circumstances are, and that, that circumstance, those circumstances will greatly influence the process of actually delisting a chain or an asset. But in general, at a high level, we would, we would take a vote as a community and say, hey, we want to get rid of this chain because of X, Y, and Z, assuming the nodes pass it. This should be a signal to the community to start withdrawing your assets, like start, you know, burning your sin and you know, closing your loans if you have collateral in that particular asset. Of course, right now it's only Bitcoin ETH, so, and obviously we're, we're never going to remove those chains for obvious reasons. But like, that, that, does, uh, that does create a lot of complexity. But we have to give people time to withdraw. And if they are sleeping and they don't do that, then there's nothing we can really do about that with the exception of, uh, yeah, with, with, with synths, we can probably just like, we can burn their synths for them, maybe through a, a store migration. With LPs, we can withdraw their, their liquidity for them through a, what we call a Ragnarok uh, a protocol. But lending is more more sticky and more more difficult because it requires them to put in capital to get out the capital, and we, we're not going to probably not going to pay off people's loans for them. That's probably not likely to occur. Yeah, uh, that's a more, more kind of a sticky sticky situation. But we'll have to like think about that as a community, and and you know, but I, I can't imagine us really removing chains in general, with the exception of the extreme edge case of of you know like a Terra. Yeah, it's just like when you've got limits on how much you can support, right? And both between like validator endpoints is one example, but the economic um, security and, and the liquidity as well, I guess. So you're, you, you, guys, uh, you guys have a withdrawal address pre-programmed for the LPs, right? So you can just basically yeet their funds when at any point in time and it's all good. Is that kind of the vibe? You, you could do that, but I, I also think we wouldn't need to because if – if a, a asset or a chain becomes like, you know, not very valuable and we're just taking up security, securing it, then most likely the, the, the trade volume of that pool would be rather small, which means yeah. that the yield would be, would be rather small, which means there's not much reason to be in there as an LP. And then there's even been, there's been talk in the past and I'm still open to doing this, but we haven't like ironed it out yet of like 
changing the 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 math of how rewards work to not give block rewards to you know unproductive pools and we've also talked about you know increasing the minimum pool depth to be from 10,000 room to a, you know something larger like 100,000 room just to drop you know very you know shallow pools but those don't really pose a threat to the to the security of the network it's just a, such a small amount of rune anyway it doesn't really make all that much difference terra was different because terra got you know grew to be like a you know over a hundred million dollar you know pools in terms of their depth rather quickly because of the you know everybody's excited about terra at the, at the time and it did take up a lot of, of our of our security cap space and that's a little bit different, but generally speaking, if something's taking up a lot of our cap space, then it's probably there for good reason, and there's not going to be much of a drive or interest from the community to remove that thing. Totally. Uh, that makes sense. Thanks for that. No worries. Sorry, uh, Logan, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I wasn't sure if Tom had a comment on the current conversation before we started a, a new topic or new, a new question. It's all good, man. It's all good. Yeah, I'm just uh, taking notes on the call. You guys are talking high level and making it pretty simple for the most part. But my my question is more so um, related to just the overall market for you, Chad. I know obviously you're you're a pretty technical guy, and I'm curious to know where you think we are in the overall you know just market cycle right are you do you feel like we're in the beginning phases of a bull right now do you feel like we're just now starting to exit or like the the last phase of a bear i've seen a lot of conflicting back and forth i mean i i look at the price of rune and i'm like man price has gone down by 90 plus percent fundamentals have gone up through the roof so it's a no-brainer buy to me but someone like you that's really entrenched in the space and i'm sure you're you're more in like build mode than looking at charts, but again, getting your opinion on kind of where we're at in the overall market cycle would be uh, be interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's how I th- here's how I think about it, and 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 let me preface this and say I'm a I'm a builder, I'm a entrepreneur, you know, person. I I don't really look at TA. I don't give two TAs. Anybody listening to this, TA is fucking pointless and useless. Don't don't listen to TA at all. It's fucking stupid. Wait, you're but, telling me you can't tell the future by drawing lines on a chart? <laughs> no, I, I saw this, I saw this funny thing the other day. And I think you a lot of people saw it where it was Bitboy talking about Thorchain. He brought up like the, the wrong chart for like ten minutes, something like this. He brings this chart of a coin he knows nothing about, and he looks at the chart for literally fifteen seconds, and he says, "Yeah, this thing's going to go up here." But Mike. It might come back here, but it's not going to go here. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? You just literally just drawing lines on a fucking chart with a with a sharpie and like thinking he actually has some sort of insight about future. It was one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. It was ridiculous. I, 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 I don't know. Bit boy's a low IQ person, to be honest with you. But anyways, um, here's here's what I think about it. I don't know about TA. I don't know about price movements and all this shit. But what I do know is like more long, long-term uh, like trends. And from my understanding of the, of the market, and this is how I look at it, and I could be completely wrong, so don't take this as you know investment advice, is that every bull market and every bear market, for the most part, is longer than its previous one. It's, just, it's, it's an elongating process that's been happening for, for 12 plus years, right? Or 13. Like, how many years have we been running with Bitcoin now? 12, 13, 14 years? Whatever the hell the number is. And like, yeah. So it's most likely, in my opinion, 
that the market, the bull market, the, sorry, the bear market we're in now will probably be one of the longest markets we've seen. Now, the one caveat to that is that the last bull market we had was not traditional bull market. We didn't see a blow up top. Things just kind of got, felt like things got cut short than what we would typically see. But my general feeling is that we are not starting the bull market yet. We are still in the bear market. We're probably going to be here for a good amount of time. We've probably hit the bottom, like in, the, in, in a general, who's going to be moving sideways for a long period of time. Throw chain's a little bit, a room's a little bit different just because we launched streaming swaps. We create a lot more value. So the, obviously the price kind of reflected that. But generally speaking, we've, we've hit as a market more or less the bottom. That doesn't mean it can't go further down. I mean, uh, Michael Burry, who you know basically called the, the 2008 collapse in the housing market, he put a $1.6 billion short on, on the S&P 500 and specifically tech companies. And in some ways, this guy is actually making a short on AI, thinking that there's a bubble and a lot of these companies are, gonna, are not going to get that far that fast. And so maybe he's right. He put on a huge bet. I mean, $1.6 billion is not a small amount of money. And so he's feeling that you know probably by the end of the end of the calendar year that the market in general is just going to have a strong pullback. And if that's the case, it's 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 certainly going to have an effect on crypto as well. So we could see more of a downside if the the general macro of like of stocks and bonds and these kind of things pull back as well. But if assuming nothing crazy happens in the the macro of the of the political economic world, you know, of a general political collapse or general you know, market collapse, then we'll probably have hit the, the bottom of the, of the bear market more or less. I think move sideways up and down a little bit. You might argue, or some people might argue, that the halvening will be one of the kickoff things that creates the next bull market. That's been somewhat true in the past. But my assumption is that the halvening within Bitcoin has in, is, is decreasing effectiveness on the general market, each halvening that it has. Like it has a much stronger effect, you know, in its first, you know, back in... Uh, 2012, I think it was, or 2013. And like, and it has less of an effect on each individual uh, happening. So I still think that the bear market's still alive and well. We're going to be sitting in it for a good amount of time, maybe another like year or two. But I could totally be wrong. This is not my expertise. I don't really study this stuff. I'm not an expert in this stuff. What I am an expert is just like, you know, building, building blockchain, building protocols. Well, eventually, on a, on a long enough on a long enough time horizon, you guys keep doing what you're doing. The industry is going to continue to grow. It's obviously not going anywhere. There's a lull. There's, I mean, it re really it's the liquidity cycle, right? So, I mean, what from everything that I'm seeing, it's there's con contradicting. Like some people, a lot of people are just expecting the happening to be this huge event that kicks everything off. I I personally think that. Um, we could see some bullish momentum towards the end of the year. And then in 2024, that's when the Fed's going to start cutting rates. But, you know, usually if you look at the past charts, it's like the, the, once the Fed starts pivoting, there's, there's a pretty significant market crash then, but then you also have to take into account it's an election year, right? So like if the Democrats want to stay in power or whatever, I don't care your political party, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll want to pump the market. So like part of me thinks that 2024 is going to be a, a real trash year with the Fed pivoting. And then the other part's like, well, they kind of need the markets to pump to save face to try to stay in power as far as political parties go. So it will be a really interesting thing to play out. But I think like if you're looking on a five to 10 year time frame, eventually that bull market's going to come. And like I'm not planning on selling my rune anytime soon, but 
again, just seeing, seeing your guys' perspective, you've, you've been in the crypto space probably a bit longer than I have and seen a few cycles play out. So always looking for insight. I might just jump in as someone who's been, you know, doing the VC circuit for the last couple of years and running a token sale right now. Uh, a couple of interesting insights, like about a year ago, a lot of the new VC funding in, in, in Web3 just dried up. Like funds have been really struggling to get new money to deploy into the space. Um, so, you know, the, the capital that's there that's currently being deployed is pretty finite, but it's not non-existent, you know, and that's a big, big difference between what we had in like 2018, 2019, where there was just nothing. And I can also say like on the token sale side of things, from what I can see, there's still definitely like a strong retail base out there, Web3 users and so on, who are still definitely interested in investing. So there's, there's a, you know, on the one hand, the macro environment does look pretty bad. This is the first time in like 30 years that anyone in the tech space has had to deal with an environment with non-zero interest rates. So I think that's going to be a persistent challenge to face over the next decade, let alone the next couple of years. But that being said, there's, there's still some strong interest there. And I think, you know, really, I think what this comes down to is going to be when does retail interest like people that aren't already involved in the space come back? And I think that's going to be the thing that kicks off that institutional funding and so on. Um, but that's what I can see, at least. I will say, though, that, like, if, and this applies both to, to, to Chainflip and to, to ThorChain, is that, like, markets aside about bull markets and bear markets and whatever else, objectively looking at the industry as a whole and seeing the amount of volume passing through centralized exchanges and how we are we are perfectly posed as an industry both chain flip and thorchain to just rug a lot of that liquidity and trade volume and so like that that makes me bullish on like DeFi industry general and obviously we on room and and so whether we're in bear market and bull markets and all these kind of things like I kind of don't really care. It's more about like what is what is the market that we're going to eat up and eat into and just like basically rug. And there's so much value to be to be taken from Binance and Coinbase and the, and, and things of the such, and that Rune's price, uh, you know, should perform well in my opinion. And I don't want to. I'm not giving financial advice. I'm not saying Rune's going to pump tomorrow. So no one fucking throw this shit at me because I almost never talk about Rune's price. But like, <laughs> but like. It, it, logically, this thing, that somebody in the DeFi space, whether that be Chainflip or or Thorchain or both of them or somebody else who hasn't even entered or Mayo or whatever else, like there's so much value to be extracted and to be gained into the DeFi space, and somebody's going to do it really well. And I hope that's Thorchain. I hope that's Rune. That's obviously my 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 interest in my bet. But like you know, it could definitely be you know multiple players. But there's so much value to be taken up that that. Value the assets in this particular ace, uh, this uh, this 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 community of cross chain whatever. Like, there's so much value to be taken up into it, and so like I, I focus more on that, the, the fundamentals of that, rather than you know um, macro movements upward or macro movements downward. Yeah, likewise. I mean, the spot exchange industry in crypto is probably I'm I don't have numbers to back this up, to be frank, but I think in terms of just businesses in the space, it's got to be like one of the most profitable in, uh, businesses in the entire industry, it went historically at least. So, yeah, absolutely. The opportunity here is is still massive and, you know, there's still billions and billions of dollars in volume a day through dozens of assets. So, yeah, absolutely agree.
Hey, uh, Juggernaut, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, guys? You hear me? Yep. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. Uh, my <clears throat> intervention it, it is uh, is for Logan. Logan, I follow you, respect you, no problem. But uh, when Thought Chain is talking about supranational financial system, you can't resume all crypto of uh, in. Uh, 2024 uh, American election. Please, there is a world around USA. Okay? Uh, just to say that. Uh, look at uh, what happened with BRICS now. Uh, maybe they will build their, their own CDBC, I don't know. Please, it's a global, global movement. Not only in USA. Just thank you. Yeah, but people people still look to the US as the market leader, and you know, for like who, the Nasdaq is is premier, right? When you when and, it, and I, I do agree with you that crypto is global and fuck the United States for the most part because you know if, if for example if the the United States approved the ETF, Bitcoin would probably fly right now. Like so, when you're saying that's that, right. Oh, like, but but that that is counteracting what you just said. So it's it's bigger than the United States, but the United States still holds crypto by the balls to an extent, just because the U.S. is still the most powerful country in the world, and people look to the U.S. as the market leader. But I mean, I, I do agree with you that it shouldn't be that way, and crypto is global. Um, but you know, it it is what it is. Like we're just we're in this period of time where you know they're trying to fight the tide eventually. Uh, the regulators are going to get swallowed by the ocean. It's just what's going to happen. And they're just, they're basically just delaying the inevitable at this point. Uh, it's kind of funny to watch, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I do get where you're coming from and I'm not trying to just be USA centric, but I do live in the United States and I mostly keep up with us based um, regulators, just, if just, you will. <laughs> just one word uh, with your permission. Uh, Torchain is made for decades. Torchain don't care about USA elections. Okay? It's made for decades. Okay? Effective, if, the, if Republicans wins in 2024, maybe crypto market will be better. Maybe. Don't know. Uh, for uh, for uh, how much time? Uh, an evolution is for decades. It's not for two years or one year. Or uh, I think we uh, must uh, think the project for uh, most uh, for more than uh, one next election in one country. No, it's my opinion. Hey, uh, Chad, I I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about emissions on ThorChain. Because, like, um, when, when I think about this sometimes, like, I know the, the emissions curve of, of the reserve of the network is, 
it's it's very it's similar to bitcoin in like it's uh it's slope right where obviously it's it's emitting a lot at the beginning and then kind of has a a short steep drop off and then tapers out over uh you know infinitely long period of time so um well obviously that's just like one end of things where that's just like uh that's that's rune going to liquidity providers and uh and node operators that's basically the distribution of of the of the rune asset um, over like the lifespan of this network and obviously like bootstrapping it at the beginning and tapering off more in favor of uh, just organic fees that are generated through through swaps, which are which are now even like overtaking the um, the, equi- the liquidity emissions already. But like when, when you look at how just new Thorchain is like, it, you know, we're not we're not even three years old. Uh, like it's still in the, the like if you and you convert that to like, hey, this is um uh, if you're just like looking at Bitcoin, you say like this is still the days of like 50 BTC block emissions for for Thorchain because we're just so young and emissions really taper off a lot over time. And I think that's something that like we don't really talk about often, or like the the emissions schedule and just organic fees and stuff like that. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, my my personal feeling is that we. Um, we, I think we had the emission schedule correct when we first launched the network and there was a community vote a while back to increase it and it was increased. And I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time. I understand why people wanted it. They wanted to get more yield, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and at the time it, it made sense in the short term, but I'm not sure it made sense in the long term. And so if I had a, if I had a magic, wave a magic wand, I'd actually would like to see us revert the emission curve back to where it was initially and to slow it down from where it was i mean but at the same time like our emission curve is like relatively small to the to the rest of the industry like if you look at us versus like osmosis for example right the amount of tokens they emit per per month whatever is a lot higher than ours in terms of the percentage of the of the of the uh of the um supply but um yeah i'm i i'm okay with the way it is now i i prefer to, 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 to decrease this to, to opt for a more longer term view and, and, and help for the protocol, especially in the context, like, you know, the swap fees have been really great, you know, for the last couple of months, like the number even during the bear market, which is kind of crazy. And the amount of revenue we're generating from swap swap fees is actually pretty good. Even after stream swaps was, was kind of introduced and people can trade a lot cheaper. So and I expect that the change over the next, you know, uh, over the next like couple of years, to be even even be better, have more volume, hopefully, and that kind of stuff. Like I said before, rugging uh, Coinbase volume and all that kind of stuff. So I'd like to see us reduce it. I don't know if it'll actually happen or not. Uh, it's not really a topic that I was like gonna uh, burn political capital on, in a matter of speaking. At least not this stage, because there's so many other things going on. Hey guys, uh, it's one twenty in Berlin AM, so I think I'm gonna have to bounce. But thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on, Simon. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you're welcome anytime to come over here. So th- thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks, man. See you guys next time. Be well. Thanks, Simon. I'm probably going to head off myself in about 10 minutes. All right. Yeah, so if there's anyone else that wants to come up and say anything or like any like final points people want to make, then let's just uh, like uh, final round right here. Then we'll, we'll uh, call it quits. Uh, one thing that I don't think came up, unless I tuned out for a second, but uh, the the test that the Treasury did about 
doing faster streaming swaps. Um, I don't think we've touched on that on the space, but that seems like underreported how big that's going to be because, I mean, we're talking about streaming swaps being like significantly faster, right? Uh, do we want to go into that a little? Yeah, sure. So, so initially it was the recommendation of the team to that a streaming swap would happen every 10 blocks, which is basically once a minute, right? And that minute gives the, the arbitrage bots time to, to, to counter trade the trade you just did so that your next trade, you know, uh, has, a, has a better price execution. That's basically what it means in a, in a high level. And so the treasury just took a bunch of funds, I think it was like $100,000, and just traded a bunch of times back and forth, um, testing, you know, 10 blocks and five blocks and four blocks and three blocks, and one block. And what I found was actually quite surprising is that, is that like, even if you do it on a one block basis, from what we've seen, like it actually has the best price execution. You would think it'd be the worst because, you know, you give arbitrage blocks very little time, but because synthetics allow them to arbitrage the blocks like really, really fast, um, you know, you, you can, you can get away with that and, and it works pretty well. I would caveat that, and this is my two cents, my personal opinion, is that, like, this probably works generally, but it may not work, like, all the time, right? And especially in the cases where there's high amount of volume arbitrage bots already burnt all the synthetic Bitcoin they have or whatever, um, and they don't have more to burn, so they have to, they have to fall back to, you know, layer one arbitrage, which obviously takes more time for Bitcoin being 10-minute block times. And so I, I think it general, in general, it's probably pretty safe to use zero like uh, a one block interval um but if you want to be more cautious you can increase it to five or even ten but it is interesting to see that how effective it actually is it's actually much more than i would have than i would have guessed to be honest yeah i think that's really really exciting if you had like advice to interfaces what what do you think is wise to try like would it be to just go to maybe like three for now or something like like is three significantly safer than one or is it all like kind of the same um my my mentality is this is that i would put it at the i would look at the swap queue and see the trade volume occurring right if you look at the trade volume that's occurring you can get an idea of like how much volume is passing through the chain more or less and that would give you really good more insight about like what is better and if it's generally, the, if it's showing just normal conditions and there's not much in the swap queue and there's not like a, a thousand sw- streaming swaps or something like this, then you can probably just, you know, keep it small at one or two or three, right? And, and it'll probably just be, it'll probably be just, just fine that way, right? And if it's not, the worst case scenario is your, your mint out that gets hit, you, you know, you, you, uh, you get a partial fulfillment and that's not like the worst case scenario in the world. But in the end, like people can trade a lot faster and that's actually more beneficial for, for, for UIs than they, they might give credit for because if you do trade every 10 blocks and you do 10 trades, that's a 10 minute trade and the context of 10 minutes, like how much can the price of you know two assets shift in 10 minutes? Well, you know some amount. How much can it shift in one minute? Well, a lot less, right? And so you're probably going to see less partial fulfillments and less like refunds and all this kind of stuff if you, if you bring it down from like 10 blocks or nine blocks to one or two that's my feeling at least yeah i'm I'm also thinking that we'll probably see arbitrage get better because if there's um i mean the real limit is just like are stints available yes or no and normally like you know 99 of the time since are available unless we're at some kind of like cap uh like 
which is unlikely to be hit at, at a moment where there is security space on the network. So it's that's an unlikely scenario in the first place. And it's more likely that arbitragers aren't, just aren't taking advantage of the opportunity for whatever reason, like they run out of capital, like it's in the wrong spots or, or whatever, they're just not arbing. But uh, if the opportunity is like continually presented because more and more are doing, you know, these one block streaming swaps, then I think that's definitely like something that could um, just improve over time and, and get better. And as, as more interfaces start doing that, like, and this is 10 times quicker than the 10 block ones, you know, you're doing it every block versus the, um, versus every 10 blocks. Uh, that's, that's 10 times quicker. So the execution on these is going to be like really fast and you'll be able to fit everything, like pretty much every swap size within like 10 minutes, I think like it, it's a, uh, it's pretty substantial actually making that, that change, but it, it does rely on like, uh, arbitrage is actually doing it for big swap sizes. Small swap size, it probably doesn't matter because you know you're probably only doing like a couple swaps anyway. By the way, and just to drop a little alpha on you guys, I've been chatting with uh, Thorchamble about the idea of building uh, a swap UI, and it's something we've been actively talking about and, and, and planning. And in that swap UI that I'm thinking about building, um, like it would probably be zero price protection. One block streaming swaps, whatever number of swaps that it needs to, to achieve the five basis points, and that and the UI itself would probably only charge like a one one bit fee just just to just to garner as much adoption and usability of Thorchain to as to as high of a market in general, and it would probably utilize like memoless transactions as well to make sure that every wallet in the world could utilize this UI and pay six bips on their swaps and get any asset they want. Or at least we'll start with the major assets to begin with. But like that's the U that's a UI that I'm actually planning on or thinking about uh, building real quick, and and that would be no price protection, one block, you know, swaps. And like I think that's going to be just fine for ninety nine point nine nine percent of of trades. To be honest, I know I've been looking at this for Asgalex. Um I think personally, like for if you're trying to do max, maybe one strop, one block interval might be a bit, a bit low, because in that second block you're swapping and you don't know whether the arb trade is going to be ahead of you or not. So whether you're going to get that benefit, you may not be getting that benefit, and the arb's always going to be one behind you. So, you know, you maybe you need to do five to get more if you're trying to do the maximum, actually hit that five basis points. Also, I know that four node will give you pretty much the same price. Whether you, regardless of the interval you select, so you can't necessarily know the 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 expected output could be diff quite different. Um, whether you do one interval or whether you do ten, but Thorno is not going to give you that because it can't calculate the the R benefit or the R effect on that trade. So I think it's I think it's really interesting, and there's a there's a, I also agree there's diminishing returns. So after you go from five, but that range of where, where do you select? And it's got really depends, you know, do I, do I want to do just a 20 swap, 20, 20 um, quantity swap when, you know, a hundred is available or, or, or what? So that's something we're looking at with Asgard X and thinking, do we range it? Do we set it? Is one too low or is two better or somewhere trying to move between one and five? And I think that's, there's probably more experimentation and, and, and getting some good data out to understand where that where that balance lies, or to enable the user to set it based on on their preference, rather than just having it as a set default. But keep in mind that like 
when you're doing a stream swap, you're you're making a small trade in a large pool because each sub swap is a relatively small small trade, and it depends on what the pools are, but just in general, that's true, right? And so if if an ARB bot doesn't ARB after between you know every single sub swap, the the price effect that you're having on the pool for that sub swap is relatively small, right? And that, that the next swap you're doing that wasn't ARB. Yes, you're getting slightly less execution, but the how much is like you know extremely small, right? And so it might be just worth worth that kind of risk of like ARB doesn't get this one particular sub swap or two of them or whatever, but you get much faster trade execution and you're less and you're less likely to have you know a partial fulfillment and that that kind of that UX experience. I don't know. I think it's worthwhile that different UIs, Photoshop's going to do one design, Asgard's going to do another one, one. I'm going to try another one. And we'll just look at the data. And the data will tell us over time like what actually makes the most sense, what are the pros and cons, and so forth and so on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a hard thing because you don't want to lock the user into one set. Um, and if they're expecting five basis points, that's what they've been told and then they get it then it's just like i don't know there's not i don't think there's i don't feel there's like there never feels to be a right answer this is probably a lot of experimentation um at the moment it's kind of slider between one and ten block into all and it doesn't change like quantity at all which you know i don't think that's right either but that's at least you're giving the user some choice to dictate time um even though they're not dictating quantity it's going to be interesting to, to, to see where it all settles. Yeah, uh, last question. Kingfisher, what's up? Kingfisher, are you there? Something. You want to say something? I don't hear Kingfisher if he's if he is talking. Nope. All right. Well, unless he starts saying something, then uh, we can probably wrap this up. <laughs> so. Hey. Is he just like a minute behind or something? I don't know. He started talking and just went out. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's like really behind. Not sure what's going on. Twitter Spaces has rugged us again. Yeah, sorry. I don't think it's going to work. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up then. Thanks for uh, hopping on, guys. I probably won't be able to do next week, but let's uh, let's do it again. And we, when we got more stuff to ship, let's do it. Hope BSC probably soon, it. and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what else goes on. <laughs> All right. Cool, guys. Cool. Thanks. Later.